You want to open your Bible to Proverbs 14. I did not, I have no idea how many messages we've done out of Proverbs. Quite a few, maybe eight, nine. So we finally made it to the more topical type messages. But we don't want to forget where we started. You know, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God that this posture in our life affects every area. When we are submitted to God, when God is above us, when we realize that we're creatures and He's Creator, that that affects every area of our life. And so, Lord willing, we're going to talk today about work. Work. So let's just start by reading here Proverbs Chapter 14, and in verse 23. In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. So I'm, going, I'm on my way back to work. You know, I've been off for the summer. I'm a teacher. And I just had a training this week. And at the training, they opened it up by saying one of the things we have to do with our students is have a career plan. So a student with, with a disability, uh, we want to help them get a job or continue on to college. So we have a career plan and they tell us what they want to do. And the way they started this training was by putting up this quote, um, I don't need to worry about that. I'm going to be a video game, professional video game player. And everyone laughed because it actually is really common. And they said, how many of you guys have heard somebody say that their plan is to be a professional YouTuber or video gamer? And like everyone, you know, as a teacher has heard that from the kids. That's what I'm going to do. And there's this interview, there's this video game called Fortnite, and it's really popular. And there's an interview just recently this past week of the kid that won the tournament. So he's 16, he goes to high school, and he won this Fortnite tournament, and he won $3 million. And the interviewer's talking to him, what, what's your day like? And he says, well, I get up at noon, and, and then I start warming up my hands. And, and the interviewer's just saying, wow, I wish I had your life, you know? I wish I had your life. And... What the world really thinks is, my life would be better if I didn't have to work. If I could just do what I wanted all day long, watch TV, play video games, my life would be better. That's the culture, isn't it? It's a very negative view of work. I remember in high school, if you studied really hard and got an A, that's fine. But if you didn't study and you put it off to the last minute and then you got an A, then you were really cool. (laughs) It's not cool to work hard. What's really cool is when you don't work hard and you make it by, you fly under the radar. What about your workplace? What do you hear at lunch? You hear this at lunch? 
conversations regularly about how thankful people are for their jobs. No. Complaining about their jobs. That's the culture that we live in. But we're not here to talk about that. That's all just to say this is relevant for you, whether you're 8 or 80. You have a view of work, and we want our view to be God's view. Let's look at this verse here. What's God's view of work? For chapter 14, verse 23. In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. Does the Bible have a negative view of work? In all toil there is profit. In all toil, there's profit. Everything that is work, even the things that are the most frustrating seeming, the things that feel like toil, there's profit. There's something valuable gained. Think about Genesis chapter 1. What kind of theology do we get of work? We get, a good, we get that work is good. We've got a God that works. God that, that created the world, stepped back, and saw that was good and continued on for six days working and then resting. And God saw it was very good. We see a God that works and delights in work, right? At the very beginning, what else do we see? We see that man works, Genesis 2. He names the animals, you remember that? That's before Eve. And then God gives him a specific command to work. Fill the earth Subdue it. Have dominion over it. Is work a result of the fall? No. That was God's plan for man. Paradise is not sitting around and playing video games all day. According to God, there was work involved. There was things to do. There was dominion to be taken. There was things to be subdued. There was the earth to be filled that's for sinless man. There's work. There's work. The Bible has a positive view of work. So here's the first point. I'm just going to say one statement. Our, the summary today of the message is one statement, but I'm going to add pieces to it as we go along. So it's going to start really simple. First point, God calls us to be workers. God calls us to be workers. This is how God set up the world. We can't eat unless we go pick some tree off the fruit. Off, pick some tree. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> um, unless we pick some fruit off the tree. Even babies have to work for food when they're born, don't they? They do. They have to do something. There's a little bit of work involved. It's not totally passive. From the beginning, there's work. God charged man to work. Let's think about it in the negative. Let's think about it in the negative. Let's turn to Proverbs 24. If the Bible has a positive view of work, what does the Bible say 
about not working. Proverbs 24, and we're going to read starting in verse 30. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw, and I considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man. The man that doesn't want to work, the man that sees a need and thinks, ah, it's not something I want to do, I'm going to put that off. I need a little bit more rest. I need a little bit more uh, just downtime. God calls that being a sluggard. It's lazy. And it's a negative thing. The instruction that Solomon received was don't be like this. I don't want to be like that. God calls us to be workers. Do you have a positive view of work? Are you like the sluggard? Are you like the man who sees work to be done and thinks, I don't want to do it. I don't like doing it. I don't like working hard. I like resting. I like sleeping. I like folding my hands. Be honest with yourself. You know, this is, this is where we all live, isn't it? We all live in the space between here's what the Bible says and what God says, and here's where I'm actually at. And we just have to admit to God, I'm not there regularly, don't we? Let's be honest. You know what's so helpful to me? To be honest with God about what the Bible says and where I'm really at. And just to say, God, either I don't believe this, I'm having a hard time even getting my mind around this, or I know this is true, but I don't live this, I don't feel this. Let's be honest with God. Now, it's going to get actually a little bit more difficult here. Because God does not only call us to be workers. Second point, God calls us to be joyful workers. And this is actually we're going to go to Ecclesiastes 4. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 which is not in Proverbs, but it's part of the wisdom literature, and it's really helpful here. Ecclesiastes 3, verses 9 to 13. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given the children of man to be busy with. Oh. Who gave us work? God. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure 
in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. What a positive view. The Bible is not sugarcoating it. It's not saying that work isn't difficult. It's even calling it toil. And a lot of that's the result of the fall. The toiling part, the the thorns, the thistles. Uh, You remember what God said to Adam, it's going to be by the sweat of your brow now. It's not going to be like it was. It's going to be more difficult. And yet, it's a gift. It's a gift to man. God's gift to man is to be able to eat and drink and work and enjoy all of it. So God wants workers, but God calls us to be joyful workers. We're supposed to be enjoying our work. How do you communicate this to the people around you? Are you a joyful worker? Are you glad to be at your work? Do you enjoy your work? There's so many reasons we could be joyful. I'm going to just give six, seven Take joy in the results of your work. Take joy when you do work. What happens is you're bringing order out of chaos, right? There's a mess. There's something. You're putting it in order. You're getting it where it should be. That's what God did, right? I mean, Genesis again, one. There was, the earth was formless and void. And then what? God brought order. You put up some doors in your house and you enjoy looking at those doors. Wow, the house looks so much better. The results. You help a student. I remember I had a student in fifth grade. When a fifth grader can't read, there's almost no hope, according to the research, that they're going to be able to ever read. And I had a fifth grade student who, by the end of the fifth grade year, was learning to read, read their first book. That's amazing. That's something that you can delight in, the results. I'm, I'm not a farmer, but maybe you look out, you see a real fat cow, and you think, that's awesome. That was <laughs> <laughs> you worked hard. You fed that cow. And maybe you're going to eat it, or maybe you're going to sell it, but either way, you're happy to see the results. And that leads us to another thing. You can take joy in the results, period. But you can also take joy in the fact that all work really is there to help someone else, isn't it? In everything you do at your job, we could summarize it to this. I'm trying to help people. The farmer, how does the farmer help people? He provides food for them. How does the teacher help people? They teach them things. How does the plumber help people? They help people have running water. We could go through all of them, you know, whether you work in a sleep lab, you work at the med school. Aren't we all here thankful for the med school? I mean, I bet every single one of us probably has been to a doctor that was trained at the med school, right? I would guess. There's a lot of them around here that are graduates from ATSU. And guess what? We've got people sitting here who helped get those doctors trained one way or another, whether it's in the finances or IT or whatever maybe even doing lectures or whatever. We've got people here who've helped. They helped others. They helped the people become trained to be doctors. And then guess who that helped? That helped us. Praise the Lord. We can take delight and joy in help helping others. 
you can take joy in the challenge. There is a way to take joy in a challenge and accomplishment. Not just the results, but in the difficulty, in trying to problem solve, in trying to change something in the world. That's what the kids that are playing video games like. They're like, well, here's this challenge. I want to see if I can defeat this. I want to see if I can do this. Well, we do that all the time at work. We've we got a challenge, and we want to be excellent, and we want to overcome it. We want to figure out a way to beat it. And you can take joy in it. You can take, there's a way to take joy in challenge. There's a way to take joy in your work because it's an opportunity to be like God. No matter what you're doing at your job, you have an opportunity to be like God. Like we already said, order out of chaos. You're helping people. Just like God helped people. You're creating something just like God creates. You're saying something. You're, you're so different than all the other creatures in, in the inhabited world, aren't you? You're made in the image of God. Here's what I know. Your job could not be replaced by an animal. They need someone made in the image of God to do what you're doing. That can read, take in information. That can go in and cut a pipe. You know, Animals can't do things like that. Animals can't create. Animals can't problem solve. Animals can't think into the future. Animals can't speak truth. And I bet you do all those things every day. You make a plan. You execute it. You see a problem that you've never seen before and you have the ability to think of a way to solve it. You're made in the image of God. Not only that, you have an opportunity to be like God in your character, don't you? You can be... A teacher that does their job well, but there's a different kind of teacher who does their job like Jesus would do the job. That's, that's different, and that's something to take joy in, isn't it? Whether it's a teacher or whether you're making a chair, you can do it like God. You can be holy and good and honest in your work, wherever you are. Just like God. God is holy. God is good. God is honest. What else? I'm just rattling off this list. Um, you can take joy knowing you are where God put you. If God spoke to me right now and he said, Andrew, I want you to take a pair of scissors and I want you to go out in the grass here and I want you to cut the grass blade by blade. You think I would be happy? Yes, I would be happy because I just heard from God. I don't know why you want me to do this, Lord, but I'm just happy to know I'm doing what you want me to do. Surely there's a purpose. Well, that's kind of what it feels like some days at work. Why am I doing it like this? Why am I doing it this way that makes no sense? I don't know, but God has me here. He's teaching me something. Maybe just my attitude and how I do this will, will mean something to someone. Maybe the difficulty will actually make me stick out. What else? How else can you take joy in your work? Rejoice in what God has made. You're either with people that God has made or you're with things that God has made. You're usually with both. You're always with both um, in general. But you can rejoice in that. 
Maybe you don't work with people all the time, but you surely have to drive past people to get where you're going. <laughs> Maybe you're in, you're in a crawl space. It's, it's smelly sometimes, it, but at least it's cool in the summer. <laughs> you can rejoice in what God has made. You know, the Bible says, remember what the seraphim, ah, I could be wrong. I can't remember the name. So Mason, you correct me or somebody else. Is it the seraphim that sing holy, holy, holy? I can't remember the names of the different types of angels, but what do they say? The whole earth is filled with his glory, right? Is the crawl space you're in part of the whole earth? Yes, it is. And so the Bible teaches that where you are is filled with the glory of God. You can worship God. You can rejoice. Look, God made this good. And think about ask, Ask God, how is it that this place where I am, how is it that this is showing your glory? Show me. God will help you. You can rejoice in what he's made. I am so thankful. Aren't you thankful that God made all these minerals and all this metal and all these other things, all these elements? I'm, I'm very thankful. We're, we're not drinking out of lead pipes anymore, right? We're drinking out of copper pipes. I'm thankful for that. You're thankful for it, for your kids' health. God made that. God made that copper. He made it to where when water goes through it, it's not going to rust. Praise God. I'm thankful for that. Or maybe now you've got pecs, which is just plastic. Even better, you know? God made, God made some plant in the past to grow, take energy out of the uh, atmosphere in the sun, turn it into carbon, bury, buried it in the ground, we pull it out. In the end, it goes back to God, doesn't it? And now we've got clean water. We can thank God for it. No matter what you are working with, whether it's people or things, you can rejoice in what God has made. Maybe the people you work with are difficult, but you know what? They're made in the image of God. And you can thank God and take joy that you're working with these people, even just maybe to be a light to them. One more thing. Do you rejoice in man's ingenuity which God has given him? It's something that we should rejoice in. God has made man so it's unbelievable the way God has made man. He's made him able to think and problem solve and be creative. All these things around you we can praise God for. God made us like him and that's why we're sitting in a building right now with air conditioning and electricity and lights. Because man is more like God than anything else. Man's a creator. Man's an inventor. Man, God made man to love beauty, didn't he? This is, a, this is a pleasing building that we're sitting in, and it's because God made man in his image. We can perceive beauty. The birds aren't sitting out on the trees looking back at the building and thinking, wow, that's nice, that's proportional. <laughs> the birds didn't stop to listen to the music we just sang. They don't perceive beauty like we do. And here we are. Somebody thought, you know what? This building would be more pleasant if both sides are equal, if it's 
if it's symmetrical and it is have you ever seen those buildings that are considered quote modern and they're not symmetrical they're not proportional you do not feel it looks makes you feel uncomfortable just looking at it it's like this is this is this is not pleasing to the eye we can rejoice that God made man in his image those are all ways we can take joy in our work in helping people and the results and the opportunity to be like God and the knowledge this is where God has put you. You can rejoice in what God has made and you can rejoice in, in the ingenuity of man. Well, there's so much more we could say, but let's just say this. God has called us to be joyful workers. Is this what we portray? Do we say in the morning, I have to go to work? Or do we say, I'm off to work? That is a big difference. Isn't there? That little word, have to, can communicate so much to our family and to our kids about work. Maybe we can get to the place where we say, I'm thankful to go to work. God's given me a lot to do today. I need to get going. Someone said, Well, I'll read you the poem. I've got a little poem here I want to read you about work. Who does his task from day to day and meets whatever comes his way, believing God has willed it so, has found real greatness here below. Who guards his post no matter where, believing God must need him there. Although but lowly toil it be, has risen to nobility. That's us, isn't it? I mean, we have the opportunity to meet our work day in a different way than everyone else, knowing that God has put us there, knowing that He has willed it so, and, and find real greatness here below. Although but lowly toilet be has risen to nobility, it's different. Can we take joy in serving God? Yes. That's what we're doing at our work. We're serving ultimately God. Well, let's keep going. Don't want to get too behind. Not only has God called us to be joyful workers, God has called us to be diligent joyful workers. At the training I went to, we were talking about work, and they talked about a student who was a very joyful worker, and what he worked at was shelving books at the library, but they found out he wasn't a diligent worker. He loved books, and so they thought, what's going on here, because not very much is getting done, so they, took, they did a two-minute trial, and what they found was, in two minutes, he put one book on the shelf, and he took four other books off to read. <laughs> right? So you can be a joyful worker and not be a diligent worker. And they they taught the student, well, you know what a good worker does? A good worker's happy and you are happy to do their job and you are doing such a good job at that. But a good worker is also productive. And so let's let's start tracking how many books you put on the shelf. And that's the way we need to be too. We need to be joyful, but we need to be productive. This verse has, I've probably thought of this verse more than any other verse over the past 
two years, at least in terms of work. It's Proverbs 18.9. I'll just read it to you. He who is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. He who is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. I've thought of this so many times. You know, you, you have a house. There's two ways to destroy it. Somebody could come in and they could just tear it down, bring a you know, crowbar, a wrecking crew, and they could tear your house down. Or you know what else you could do? Nothing. And it would end up looking the same. Right? If you don't take care of your house, that's exactly what's going to happen. You will destroy it because you're slack in your work. You see water coming in through the ceiling and you think, huh, maybe I'll get to that. Your house is not going to last very long. You know, we have had a lot of problems with our house, uh, and so have a lot of other people. And what, what really happened a lot of times is someone was slack in their work. Someone was slack with the foundation. They didn't d- dig it deep enough. Someone was slack with the grading, so the water's running towards your foundation wall. Someone didn't clean their gutters for 15 years, and it destroys your house. We've got to be diligent workers. We don't want to be slack in our work. If, if, we're, if a person who's slack is just like someone who destroys, a person who's diligent, they're adding something valuable. You cleaning your gutters right now may not seem like a big deal, but if you sell your house in 30 years and it's able to just keep on standing, that was due to you being diligent in the little things. You remember the quote from Hudson Taylor? Remember Jim had this, told me, Jim Kelly had this on his desk as a teacher. A little thing's a little thing, but faithfulness in the little things is a big thing. Right? That one example of your gutters, it does not seem like a big deal to God for you to put your gutters off another year. But if you do that long enough, uh, that person that buys your house 30 years from now is going to be sad. And they're going to think, if it was me, I, I would think about this verse. This person was slack in his work. And he led to the destruction of the house. And that's not just in gutters, that's in lots of areas. As a teacher, it's pretty scary. I think about this as a teacher. You've got this kid, you don't want to destroy their life. That's not your intention. But if you let a kid get a year behind who's already behind, they may never recover. Right? Could I, is it possible that I could destroy someone's life? Yes. I could very seriously damage a student who's struggling that I should be giving help to and they don't get the help that they need and they never recover. It's really hard to make up growth. The re, there's a lot of research on it and it's, it's scary. There's key years and, and there's just not much uh, catch-up growth that can be made. When you're already behind, it's hard just to uh, keep up, let alone learn more than the other kids, right? And so we've got to be diligent where we are. We've got to be diligent workers. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, Whatever your hands finds to do, do it with all your might. I like this that someone said. They said that do your job like you will do it in the new heaven and the new earth. How would you do your job if, you, if it was the new heaven and the new earth? I, I would teach my class different. 
I would teach my class different. I want to teach my class in a way that it's a class I want to be in, that I would want to be in if I was in ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th grade. Do your plumbing how you would have it done on your own house. Be an insurance man, or whatever you call them, <laughs> insurance man. Oh, man. My do- I know exactly why I said that, because my daughter has this book. It's called Digger Man, <laughs> and I've read it, I don't know, 50 times this weekend. <laughs> and it's a boy who wants to buy a, a bulldozer when he gets older. But whatever it is, you know, if you want to be a digger man or an insurance man, do it the way you'd want it done for you. Be diligent. Proverbs 6, 6 through 8 talks about the ant. We don't have time to read it all, but it says, Sluggard, go to the ant, consider his ways. He doesn't have someone forcing him to work. Nobody's watching him, and yet he collects his food in the, in the summer and prepares for winter. Would you do your work different if, so, if someone was watching you? Would you do work at all if no one made you? Imagine this. Imagine your job. You go in, everything's exactly the same, except there's a camera up in the corner and it's pointed right at your desk. And then imagine, not only that, later on in the year, your boss says, hey, I've, I've got a change I want to make. I've assigned so-and-so to just sit and watch you. And they sit there with a notepad. <laughs> what would you do your job different? That's actually my job. <laughs> I actually do have a camera pointed at my desk. I actually do have somebody that sits there and watches me at my job. And you know what I think? I think, God, thank you for that. Because the reality is, is I want to do my job for God. I don't want that to make it an iota of difference, whether there's a camera watching me or not. That sound, if you don't know what I do, that sounds really weird. But um, I work at the juvenile detention center as a teacher, so that's why there's a camera. It's not because my boss doesn't trust me or something like that. <laughs> Um, well, God wants us to be diligent, joyful workers. Last point. God calls us to be diligent, joyful workers looking to Him. You remember this verse, I bet you guys know it. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. We're not alone at work. We've got a helper. God. God wants to help us at our work. Do you stop at your job and pray, God, here, here comes this or that task. Would you help me? That's what the Bible says we need to do. God wants to help you in your work. You know, there's a, there was a definition of a secular job that was a job that a job that a non-Christian could do just as well as a Christian. That's what, you know, quote, a secular job was. The reality is there's no job like that. There is no job in the world that a non-Christian could do better than the Christian. Why? Because God is helping the Christian. 
If you stop and pray, whatever you're doing, whether you're making a chair or whether you're a teacher, a doctor, whatever, God wants to help you. God will give you real help. Think about Joseph. Remember all those verses? The Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. The Lord was with him. What is that saying? Joseph had a job, and God came in and he made everything different. Because Joseph knew God. God came in and he made the work prosper. Remember Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. It says God gave them knowledge and skill and wisdom. God gave it to them. Here they were. They had a job. It was to learn all these things and then to go be advisors to Nebuchadnezzar and the other uh, later rulers. And God helped them. He gave them real, tangible help. And that's how God is, that's what God's willing to do for you and me. God is willing to help you at your job. Stop and pray before you go to see some difficult client. Stop and pray before there's a difficult problem. Mm-hmm. I think about my job, I think about all the best things have not been things that I problem solved out. They've been things where I prayed and God did, God did something. And it's something I can't take credit for it. God will help you. There'll be moments where you can look back and say, wow, that wouldn't have happened at my job if I hadn't prayed. I know that. The only reason this happened was because of God. God is there at your work. You know, Tozer... Tozer worked, A.W. Tozer worked at a tire company. And this is what he says about that experience. As a young Christian, I worked for the B.F. Goodrich Company in Akron, Ohio, help making rubber tires. This is what he said. God was at my work just as much as he was at my church. As far as I was concerned, there was no difference. If God is not in your factory, if God is not in your store, if God is not in your office, then God is not in your church when you go there. What he means by that, he's saying it in a sharp way, but what he's saying is, if God's here today, God's God's with you at work. Right? If you're a Christian and you believe that we're really entering in, we're worshiping God... It doesn't make any sense to think, well, God can come in right here, but he can't come in at my work. That's not true. He's an almighty, all-powerful, infinite God. He's everywhere. God is at your work just as much as he's here today. You sit down and you, we worshiped God. Was God listening? Absolutely. Remember what Jesus says in John 4? Who's God searching for? He's searching for worshipers to worship him. Where? In Jerusalem? Uh, in spirit and in truth. That means anywhere. That means at your job. That means at a tire factory. That means at the doctor's office. Wherever you are, God is there. And he's actually watching for someone to worship him, to serve him, to be like him, to be with him. God is there. God teaches that he will help us and he'll be with us in our work. So let's just apply this a couple ways and then we'll close. 
First off, what does this have to do? Let's think about the gospel in relation to this. We all need to confess our sin, don't we? I would guess that all of us would need to confess, if we haven't already, being lazy. There's a big temptation to be lazy in our schoolwork, in our work, and we need to just give that to God. God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that uh, when I was in high school, I didn't want to take the hard classes. I was too lazy. It's, I'm sorry that I wasn't helpful to people because I would rather just get home early. We need to confess that. But the good news is what? Jesus died for lazy people too. Jesus died for sluggards. And what? He promised to free them. Didn't he? Everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. But if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. This is not something that can't be totally different. If you, you might be the person in here today that has the worst attitude about work. You're not stuck there. What, what does the gospel say? It says that there's grace, there's forgiveness, and there's not only forgiveness through the blood of Jesus, there's the power to be different. Yes. He'll help you. You could come in here next year and be the most joyful worker, the most diligent worker. It's possible. I can just say for myself, God has been working on this in my life for a while. And it's different than it was. Not by my diligence, but by the grace of God. God is able and helps us in our weakness. We can be different, but we do need to confess it as sin and ask for help. Well, let's think about it in terms of our kids. How do we prepare our kids for the rest of life? I'm thinking one big way, what are your kids going to spend the most of their life doing? They're going to be working. They're going to be spending a lot of time working, whether that's in the home or whether that's out of the home. You know, we're saying work, but I hope all the stay-at-home moms know I'm talking about you too. I mean, cleaning the house, taking care of kids, that's work. It's, you don't get a paycheck, but it's real work. And dads, I'm talking to you too. If you think I'm just talking about what, how hard you work when you get to your job, and I'm not talking about how hard you work when you get home, that's not true. You need to be prepared to be diligent, joyful workers at work, and then when you come home, be diligent, joyful workers looking to God. On your drive home, you may need to just start preparing your heart and say, God, I'm tired. I want to be a diligent, joyful worker looking to you. I'm looking to you for help. I don't feel like doing the dishes tonight. Help me. I want to. We've got to. You know, the sluggard in that verse, you know, didn't want to do things on his own home. Maybe he was a diligent worker outside. Maybe he did something, was diligent, came home and was lazy. We've got to be diligent, joyful workers all the time in all situations. What else? Let's look for... Well, let me finish that statement. How do we prepare our children? Boy, I want my kids to love work, to see it as a blessing and not as a curse. It would be such a way to set up my kids for failure if I gave them, communicated to them, that we should be sour, lazy, and reluctant workers and slack. I don't want my kids to be Slack workers, sour workers, reluctant workers. 
There's so many ways to fall off the edge here, isn't there? You could be a diligent worker with a bad attitude. You could be you could be have a good attitude, but the boss doesn't know whether you're going to show up the next day. We don't want to be either one of those. We want to be diligent, joyful workers looking to God. And I want that for my kids. They're going to spend most of their lives working. I want them to have the biblical attitude, a God-honoring attitude as they go in, walk into their job. That's a blessing, right? Aren't I bet every single one of you here would be happy, thrilled. It would change your life to have someone walk in and fill a position and you knew they were diligent, they were joyful, and they were looking to God. We would say, praise the Lord. They're life-giving, aren't they? You know people like that. And when they work with you, they give you life. You're happy to be there. And it changes things. Work is not some second best activity. It's not. It's not a second best activity you have to get through so you can read your Bible. That's not the way God designed it. God's the one that made it like this. God made it to where we have to work. God made babies where they take a lot of work. God made plants where we have to cultivate them. Trees have to be planted. There's a lot of things that God wanted us to learn. And so he made it this way. A lot of ways to be like God we couldn't be unless we had work. Don't get in your mind that work is not spiritual. That's not true. God works. He's the most spiritual. Jesus worked as a carpenter. He was a perfect man. And he didn't think, well, work is below me. That's not spiritual enough for me. No, he thought it was perfectly consistent with a God-honoring life. Jesus wanted to work. Surely Jesus could have refused to work if he wanted, but he didn't. He wanted to work. Live out. Be the image of God. Plan, think, create, speak. Do all these things in a spirit of worship and, and thankfulness to God. It is advancing God's kingdom. I mean, think about it. God said to Adam, have dominion. Be king, right, over the world. We advance God's kingdom for sure when we share the gospel and when we do other things that are directly related to, spirit, to spiritual truth, things like that. But we can also advance God's kingdom through helping people. A police officer protects the public, is that advancing God's kingdom? Yes, it is. He's having dominion. He's ruling. He's putting things in order. He's keeping things in order. We're living out that mandate that God gave Adam. We're helping people. Can't, isn't that a way to advance God's kingdom? Is it only when you help them spiritually that you're advancing God's kingdom? No. If you give somebody who doesn't have food, food, Praise the Lord. Is that an open door? That might open a door for something spiritual. Well, I don't want to keep going too long. So let's just close by, by thinking about this. God gave you your job where you are now. God gave you the ability to do it. And God gave us 
the Bible to correct our thinking. Let's ask God, God, is there any area that, that I need help in and would you, would you change me, would you shape me, would you mold me? Would you make me more like Jesus? Amen.